Thanks, Mike, for that music. Can you all hear me? Um, some of you are probably wondering, we're still singing Christmas music. Christmas was, was it Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday. But uh, the message of Christmas is just not for Christmas. It's for every day. And the songs that we sang, although sound Christmassy, they're very much a message that we need to relay every day and to live out in our lives every day. And that's what drove me to the message um, that I have for you this morning. In fact, I just, as you all know, I always go back to that Bible back there and I put the Bible to whatever verse I'm preaching out of and it was already there. So that's a good, good sign that what I'm bringing this morning is what the Lord wants me to bring. But uh, let's pray and then uh, we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Christmas season. We thank you that we were able to celebrate it and remember it and draw closer to you as I was speaking with Elroy and how blessed he was. And Father, but at the same time, there are some of us here this morning that have heavy hearts. And I just pray your comfort to be upon them in their bereavement. And that, Father, that you would provide safe travels to the services and the wakes that, Father, that follow. And so, Father, as a body of Christ, as we come together as brothers and sisters in the Lord, I pray, Father God, that we would lift each other up in prayer, encourage one another, And Father, this morning, hear your word. And that, Father, it would move in our hearts and move in our actions. For the Christmas message is just not for the holidays. It's for every day. Amen. Like I was saying, a couple weeks ago, I was out in Minneapolis, and uh, Nigel asked me if I would want to preach on the 29th. And I said, okay, well, let me think about that. And so I thought about that on the drive to Minneapolis, and I thought about it while I was there for team meetings. And the message of the angel just kept coming to me out of Luke chapter 2. And I just kept thinking about it over and over and over again. And I had done a message previously post-Christmas on the shepherds. But for whatever reason, as I was rereading those scriptures, it just continued to point to the angel's message. And if you, in the songs that we sang this morning, it was speaking of the angel's message of salvation given to shepherds who are in the field. In fact, let's take now, let's go to Luke chapter 2 and let's read it for ourselves. In Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find the babe wrapped in clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men, with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry. Some of your Bibles may say haste or ran and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. 
And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at these things, which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just had been told to them. Within our text this morning, we are provided with the glorious appearing of the angel of the Lord to the lowly shepherds. Only within the Gospel of Luke are we treated with this story, and what a story it is. Because for the first time, a verbal proclamation of the Savior was given to common men. And within this proclamation, we hear the message of the Savior. Now, after reflecting on this message and how it's relayed to the shepherds, a few key points come out of that message that I want to share with you this morning. The first thing that we notice in that message is that it's personal. When we look at the message from the angel, we see that you, Y-O-U, is used three times. This usage is just not grammatical, but intentional in that the angels of the Lord were speaking directly to the shepherds, individually, proclaiming to them the good news of a Savior who was born. Although there are many theological themes that we could draw from the shepherds just within themselves and would fill a, a, a treasure of, of sermons for weeks on end, the primary theme is the personal message of the Savior. And Luke's inclusion in his gospel is not only significant for the shepherds, but it's significant for us as well. But I think some context is important here. First, shepherds were not really thought of very fondly during Jesus' time. Even though Abraham was a shepherd, Moses was a shepherd, David was a shepherd, you would think that having the occupation of a shepherd would be an honorable profession. But during Jesus' time, it wasn't. They were considered ceremonially unclean by the religious leaders and could not pay, take part of the temple worship. Imagine that. The only church in town, and you were ceremonially unclean to go to it. They were unable to keep the Sabbath, therefore considered lawbreakers by the Pharisees because they were tending their flocks. They were mistreated. They were mistrusted. In fact, in a court of law, their testimony was invalid. They couldn't even be a witness because they weren't trusted. They were nomadic. They would travel wherever the grass was green, and whenever they would come to town and something would come up missing, who got the blame? The shepherds. Imagine how they felt through the treatment of the Jews and the religious leaders and how that made them feel and how that made them received by God himself. There's a painful truth that sometimes we tend to see our value through how we are treated by others. And sometimes we take it to the point of that's how God treats us too. And yet the angel of the Lord visited them on that night and told them of a Savior born to them personally. I cannot imagine how they felt hearing this message in that God had ordained an angel to visit them personally and to proclaim this message of salvation to them personally. 
How accepted they must now feel. How special that must have been. How loved it must have made them feel. As I reflect on how the shepherds must have felt in receiving uh, such a personal message, I kind of recall my own testimony in relationship to that. You know, I was saved initially at age 16. I know I keep telling people 14, but I did the math in my study and it wasn't right because I wasn't working when I was 14. I was working when I was 16. And that's where I received Christ is at work. So it was 16. So you guys can hold me accountable to that now. But at 16, a man by the name of Joel Hyde shared with me this good news of a personal savior just for me. You see, to that point, all I had was the institutional relationship with Jesus. I knew him through the church's teachings. I knew him through the sacramental observances. In fact, I was an altar boy and participated in all of them. And there's a lot. I knew him through the weekly service we called the Mass. I knew him through the position and the actions of the priest whom we called the Father. Salvation for me was through the church. It wasn't until I was introduced to Jesus personally by the witness of Joel Hyde under the unction and the wooing of the Holy Spirit did I finally realize there is a person in the name of Jesus and he desires for me to have a relationship with him that is personal. And it forever changed my life and my relationship with the Father that he would think of me to that degree that he would die for me on that cross. The message of the Savior is a personal message in its proclamation and it's personal in its decision to receive it. This is important for us to understand for three reasons. First of all, there is no collective salvation or what is termed universalism. Whereas people feel and take out of context Romans chapter 5 verse 18 where they feel because each man has, has fallen into sin as a result of Adam, the work on the cross, then is universal for everybody regardless if you believe in him or not. That's a very short segmented explanation of universalism. But there are some people who believe that and that's not doctrinally true. This was initially perpetrated by Satan himself when he says, you surely won't die if you take part of that fruit, which was a lie. It was also confronted early on in the church by Augustine who had to um, correct the belief of some who felt that by sharing in the Lord's table and taking communion in the body of Christ made them a community of believers regardless of the fact that they were living a life that was contrary to Scripture. More recently, the doctrine has been packaged by liberal theologians in which collective salvation is promoted through a social gospel which believes that we are either all saved or none of us are saved. Therefore, we must sacrifice and serve with the intent of saving the entire community as a whole. That's all based in Marxism. It's not doctrinally true. Salvation has always been and always will be of an individual choice of faith brought forth by God's grace. Nor is salvation obtained by religion. No set church, no set observances or sacraments can bring about salvation. 
No membership in or consistent attendance to a church brings about salvation. I have heard many times people share, share with me when I share the word with them that, you know what, I just need to get back into church and repair my relationship with the Lord. My response to them then is the same response that I have now. No, you need to get right with the Lord first. You need to repent of your sins first. You need to make that relationship healthy first before you go to church. For some, that may sound counterintuitive. Because it's not about church, but our relationship with the Lord. We serve in the church. We minister in the church. We show our works of faith in and through the church. We are discipled through the church. We lift each other up, such as Doris and Clarabelle, when they suffer loss in the church. For Ken and Judy, who lost a co-worker in the church, we do that in the church. We're a body of believers, but we're not saved through the church, or any religion. Finally, it must be understood that salvation cannot be borrowed. It cannot be inherited. Although the faith of the father and the mother is precious, as an example of a witness to a child, the child still must make an individual commitment to Christ. That's not always been the case in church history. If you ever read that, they would count the entire family as being believers if the father or the mother believed in Christ. That was more for the state church and numbers than it was for the benefit of the family members. Being raised in a church and in a home of believing parents is truly a blessing, but it provides no assurance of salvation to a child who is yet to make a personal commitment to Christ. I have seen children raised in the church. I have seen children raised in Christian homes leave the home, then leave the church, never to darken the door again. But if you was to ask them if they were a Christian or not, they would tell you yes by virtue of their upbringing. Brothers and sisters, that is a grave deception. Salvation is a personal experience of faith in its reception, in its progression, and in its judgment. For God's word says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And in its progression, it says this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know what we call this? The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. But it's also in judgment too. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, known as the Bema seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We will stand before Christ alone not with our spouse, not with our children, not with the church, alone giving an account. The message to the shepherds was personal in its reception and showed that God brings forth the salvation to be received individually. Praise God that we have a personal Savior who presents himself in a personal way, inviting us into a personal relationship that requires no affiliation, no righteousness by way of the law, no heritage that is chosen, and no requirement of observances. It only requires a simple faith in a personal way, by way of grace, through a personal Savior.
Now, as much as I have said about the message of the angels being personal, it is also a universal message for all. The message of the angel is just not for the shepherds. It's just not for all the Jews. It's just not for within the region in which we hear the story. It's just not for those in Bethlehem, Judea, or Galilee. It's just not for those who are religious and well-adjusted in life. It's just not for the well-off or the politically aligned. It's just not for this people or that people or this religion or that religion. It's for all. It's a message of salvation for everyone. Unfortunately, this, not, this hasn't always been the case as it relates to man's judgments in this area. Look at the shepherds themselves. They were unaccepted in their faith. According to the way they lived by virtue of the religious elite. Or how about the harlot who washed Jesus' feet, condemned by men? Or the tax collector, not considered a Jew, but a Roman sympathizer and traitor? Or how about the Samaritans, so unworthy, so thought lowly of, that Jews would walk around the entire region so they didn't have to go through it? Or how about the demon-possessed man? He would have been left to rot in the tombs. How about the Roman soldier, unredeemable for his occupation and oppression of the Jews? The lepers, who were outcasts, who carried the sins of their fathers, ceremonially unclean. All unworthy, as deemed by men and the keepers of the law. And yet, the universal message of salvation came to them by way of the Messiah in Jesus Christ, personally. Personally. They all, every one of those that I described, came to Christ personally because he met them individually. It's for everybody. It's just not for the Jews. Listen to what God's word says. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men. That's all people to be saved, and to come to the knowledge of truth. And why does God desire all men to be saved? Why are we in need of salvation? The answer to that question lies within the message of salvation itself in that it deals with the universalness of sin. Listen to what God's word says about sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For there is no one who is righteous. No, not one. And as a result of sin, God's word further tells us that for the wages of sin is death. No one escapes the sin of this world. Listen to what Psalms 51.5 says. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Because of the fall of man, we are all born into sin. Listen, you're not sinners because you sin. You're, sin. you're sinners because you were imputed with Adam's sin, who's the father of us all. We cannot escape it. We cannot ignore it. We cannot justify it. We cannot explain it away. 
It is not just a theological term or an area of study that is talked about in church circles. It's a condition that all people suffer from, and if not dealt with, will bring its ultimate end, which is spiritual death. But the good news in the universal message of the Savior is that it deals with the universalness of sin by sending his son to pay for that sin by hanging on the cross and shedding his blood. Listen to what God's word says. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of grace. And how then do we receive this? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As much as it is personal, it is a universal message because it deals with the universal issue of sin. But there's something else in that message from the angels. And that is, it requires a response. It requires a response. Upon being visited by the angel and witnessing the heavenly host and hearing the praises of glory to God in the highest, the shepherds committed themselves to respond to the message and go straight to Bethlehem. Now, we need to look at that a little bit deeper. And if you study it, you'll notice something. They weren't told to go. They weren't admonished to go. They weren't commanded to go. They weren't told by the angel, well, you know, I'm not saying you should go, but... They went. They left. And I think it's very important that Luke includes that or the absence thereof that detail because of the basic truth of faith, and that is this. Once faith enters the heart and is received, and is believed, it moves a person to Christ. Once faith enters the heart and is received and believed, it moves the person to Christ. Faith moves. Faith motivates. Faith encourages. Faith emboldens. Faith reveals truth that sets us free and then motivates us to secure it no matter the cost. When God finally got me on my knees, when I was 27, I didn't care anymore. I got up, I told my wife, I'm going to church, and she looked at me like my head was spinning around. And I went. And I repaired my relationship with the Lord by way of repentance and recommitment. Faith removes the deceptive blinds of sin and reveals the truth and the need for salvation from it. Once truth is revealed, you cannot unsee it. You cannot deny it. You cannot run from it. I tried. It doesn't work. Truth as revealed by faith demands action, whether it's towards Christ or a rejection of him. It was faith that motivated the shepherds. It motivated them to leave their flocks and go. Go! In fact, the Bible says it made haste, or like I was saying, maybe your version says they ran. 
This is another aspect of Luke's narrative that we need to take note of in the fact that they were shepherds. They were responsible for watching the flock. Many theologians believe the flock that they were watching were lambs dedicated to the sacrifice a month later. And yet they got up and they left. Now, we don't know biblically that that's true, but let me give you a personal experience that makes me believe that that is. I was stationed in Montana, and Montana has a lot of sheep. And when I was working out in the missile field out in the countryside of Montana, we would run across a bunch of sheep being moved from one pasture to another. Let me tell you something, they're not very fast. I've never heard of a stampede of sheep. There was the shepherd. I guess I don't know if Montanans still consider themselves shepherds. Guy on an ATV with two dogs yipping at the heels, and they didn't move any faster. So that tells me that if they got up in haste and they ran, they left their flocks behind, and they were going to go see what they were told by the angels. It was that important to them. They left their possessions, they left their livelihood, they left their security, they left everything that they were and says, no, we must go and see what we were told. God's word says this. Yet indeed, I also count all things a loss. This is Paul speaking. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ that I may gain Christ. They could have bragged about being visited by the angels and left it at that. They could have sat around and said, that was weird. Did you guys see that angel? They could have sat there and said, ah, it wasn't for us. Was it? Mm-mm. They believed. Believing is just more than hearing. Believing is responding to what you hear. We have not truly believed until we responded to God's word. When the Lord called Peter, he left his nets. When the Lord called Matthew, he left his position as a publican and left his tax collecting table and followed Jesus. When the Lord called John, he left being a fisherman to follow Jesus. When Joseph of Arimathea believed, he went against the council, went against the Sanhedrin, went against the religious rulers and the protocol of the day and asked for the body of Jesus so he could bury it. When Zacchaeus heard the good news, he returned that which he stole. Believing is responding. Hearing the message of the Savior requires a response. It's just not to be contemplated or processed. It has to be acted on with haste for not only the purpose of salvation, but also for the progression of our sanctification. For when the Lord moves in you, you need to believe and move and act on what he shows you. Act on what he's telling you. We need to be moved in our heart. The fourth thing that I seen in that angel's message was that the message needs to be proclaimed. The message needs to be proclaimed. These shepherds had quite a night. They were visited by the angel of the Lord and the glory of the Lord in order to be told of the birth of a Savior, to fulfill prophecies that were being expected for over 700 years. 
Responding upon this news, they discovered the Christ child just as the angel of the Lord told them that it was and what they believed in their heart to be true. Upon seeing the Christ child, they made known what the angel of the Lord had said and all wondered. They proclaimed what they saw. They proclaimed what they heard. They witnessed, they evangelized the good news of what they received. You know, when I read these verses, something becomes very important that we must also take note of for ourselves, and that is this. Upon receiving the good news, they moved out in faith and proclaimed what they saw. They moved out in faith and proclaimed what they saw. The word said they made it well known. No longer were they intimidated by others and the judgment that they put on them because they were mere shepherds. No longer did they reside in their own private little shell, in their own little world, knowing that they're not accepted in the world in which they lived. It didn't matter who they shared it with or the response that they received. They were just going to simply tell people about the birth of the Savior, Jesus What existed inside of them was bursting out and they needed to release it. You know, whether we want to realize it or not, we're all sharers of our experiences. We want people to see what we see and experience what we experience. We share the news of our vacations to anyone who would listen. We share pictures of our kids and our grandkids to people that are like, okay, We share our new homes and our new cars. We're sharing people. But we're not as eager to share Christ. Why is that? Why is that? Is it because we fear rejection? Maybe. Is it because we fear alienation and exclusion? Possibly. Do we fear labels? Maybe. I'm sure all of these are are true and maybe there's even more of them. But I think the real reason, the more direct reason we've lost, the reason why we don't proclaim it, is because we've lost the desire to do it. We've lost the desire to do it. Maybe we've become so comfortable and distracted with life that we've lost the fervor in sharing the gospel. Maybe it's somebody else's job. Maybe somebody else will come along. Maybe we should take the example of the shepherds who shared all the wonders they had seen and heard by way of faith so that all could hear. They didn't care about how they were received. They didn't care what people were going to think. They didn't care about their abilities or lack thereof. They just simply shared their experience and the message of the angel and what they seen. Brothers and sisters, I believe there's two types of people that share Christ. There are those that are proclaimers and those that are promoters. And if you look at Paul's theology on evangelism, you'll see that those that are proclaimers are typically those that are gifted evangelists, pastors, teachers. Whereas most of us lie within the promoters. 
meaning we live out our lives as a light in a dark and dying world by how we talk, how we act, how we react, and what we say. It was the greatest draw of the early church in the Roman Empire, and it is the greatest draw today, living out your life in Christ, in the spheres of your family, at work, and in your community. Paul wrote this to young Timothy, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. For this reason I have also suffered these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know who I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Many of you have received the wonderful gift of the good news, but it doesn't stop there. There are many who are living in their sin with no hope, no answer, no understanding, no recognition, or worse, they have been deceived themselves. These are people we work with, our friends, our neighbors, and our family. But they're also those people we may not care for. Someone who has wronged you. Someone who has hurt you. Someone who has caused you pain. Someone you feel is undeserving of the message of the Savior. These people are your shepherds. And they deserve to hear the good news just as much as you do. Finally, what we see within the angel's message is that it needs to be lived out in our daily lives through worship. In verse 20, we see that the shepherds returned to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. In essence, they worshiped daily as a result of what they experienced. This is part of the story that could have just ended with the verse that says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in their heart. But it didn't stop there. Luke did not stop there. Luke wanted to address and highlight the fact of this, that an encounter with the Savior is a transforming encounter that produces the desire to be worshiped daily. The shepherds were transformed in their experience with the Savior and the message of the angel and it's being lived out in their lives daily through worship. Isaiah 29, 19 says this, The humble will be filled with fresh joy from the Lord. Those who are poor will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. What a fitting, mess, what a fitting verse for the shepherds. Let me read that again. The humble will be filled with the fresh joy from the Lord. Those who are poor will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. What a great message for us as well. The shepherds lived out their salvation experience every day for all to see. It was now the centerpiece of who they were. Are we living daily in a life filled with praising and glorifying God? Have we forgotten our encounter with Christ and now it's nothing more than a story that we reminisce in church circles as part of our testimony? Do we share it with others? Do we praise God at work? Do we demonstrate that we are His at work in our family? Do we worship Him every day? 
I pray that we do. Psalms 107.8 says this, Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for all his wonderful deeds to them. Let's keep that verse in our heart. This past week, we celebrated Christmas. Next week, these decorations that we have up here may not be here. And maybe ourselves, we're already beginning to tear down our trees and our lights. Although the celebration of the Lord's birth has since passed, the message it brought needs to be forward, to bring forward, because it's a message of salvation that is personal, it's universal. It needs to have a decision. It needs to be proclaimed. And it needs to be lived out in our lives daily through worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that we can just dive into the message of the angels and realize how personal it really is, but how universal it was proclaimed. Help us, Lord, every day to decide to follow you every day, Father, to proclaim it to those that don't know you and every day to live in worship and adoration to you. For we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.